Yom Kippur is a unique and holy day. We fast for more than 24 hours. We're immersed all day in tefillah and tshuva, prayer and repentance. And all of us hopefully are thinking and reflecting about the past year. We think and we take, and we take into account our successes last year and our failures, the things that we're proud of and the things that we are less proud of. Tshuva and tefillah, fasting and forgiveness, avodas yom kippurim of the Kohen Gadol, and everyone's personal atonement. With so many ideas on Yom Kippur, the question we must ask is, what is the main thing? Ultimately, what is the main point we need to focus on over that 24-25 hour period? Perhaps the answer to this question lies in one of the most remarkable stories you will find anywhere in the Talmud. I'm referring to the incredible, almost impossible to believe story that the Gemara recounts in Avodah Zarah, Daf Yudzain, Amar Aleph, about a man named Elazar ben Dordaya. Now, to be clear, this story isn't intended for an adult audience, as we might say nowadays. And it really is almost too fantastic to believe. The Gemara begins by declaring that this person, Elazar ben Dordaya, lo hiniach zona achas ba'olam. There was no zona, there was no prostitute in the world that he had not previously visited. He was so enslaved to physical lust. He lived a life of such debauched hedonism, pleasure-seeking. There was no pleasure he would not experience. This is the type of person he was. And then the Gemara recounts how once he heard about a beautiful woman who sold her services in a far overseas location that he had never been with. Therefore, he had no choice, so to speak, but to set out on this long journey, a difficult journey, to meet her. When he finally successfully navigated this incredibly difficult journey the Gemara describes, he pays her exorbitantly high price, and then they are together. And the Gemara describes these great efforts, and of course he's filled with excitement for this experience, until at the very last minute, in a shocking twist, the Gemara tells us, right before the moment they were going to be intimate, she passed gas. And she took it as an omen. And she declared that just as this gas or this air left my body and can't return to its place, she took it as a sign, as an omen, that Elazar ben Dordaya, this man she was about to be with, could never repent. He was completely lost. He had no hope for a better future. When Elazar ben Dordaya hears this from the Zona, he breaks down. And the Gemara describes, with great pathos, his desperate efforts to do tshuva. He went and he sat in between two mountains, and he called out to the mountains and the hills, Bikshu alai rachamin, please beg God to change his mind, to give me mercy, to forgive me, to grant me atonement. But the mountains and the hills told him, we have to worry about ourselves, we can't ask for you. After that he turns to the Shemayim Aretz, the heavens and the earth. Again, Bikshu alai rachamin. And again the same thing they say, we're worried about ourselves, we can't worry about you. Then he asks the sun and the moon, Bikshu alai rachamin. They also refuse. And finally, he asks the stars and the galaxies, and they too said, we can't. After that, after four unsuccessful attempts, with no one left to ask, the Gemara recounts that Elazar ben Dordaya came to the conclusion that Ein hadavar talui elabi. In the end, I have no one to count on, I have no one I can rely on, except for myself. He puts his head in between his knees, and he begins to cry, and he weeps uncontrollably, with great and sincere passion, 
all his feelings of a lifetime of regret bottled up, finally come out. Until the Gemara says he cried with such guilt, with such passion, that his soul left his body. He died out of the pain and agony he suffered while going through this complete change and metamorphosis and teshuva. Says the Gemara, Yatza Sabaskul, at that moment, the heavenly voice came out and declared, Rebbe Eliezer ben Dordaya, Rebbe Lazar ben Dordaya, Muzuman Chay Olam Haba, he has been granted forgiveness in essence. He will, in fact, be invited to eternal life. He will merit Olam Haba. Incredible. The Gemara adds one final PS to the story that when the sages would recount the events and the life and the saga of Eliezer ben Dordaya, Bacha Rebbe, the great Sage Rebbe would cry at hearing this story, and he would declare, Yesh kun shanim, There are those who have to spend a lifetime in hard work to merit olam haba, but there are some rare extreme examples where yesh kun There can be other people who have such a epiphany, who reach such an apex of spiritual achievement, even in one moment, that they can undo a lifetime of sin and merit life in olam haba. Some earn their world in many years, others in one hour. This is the incredible and powerful story. And of course, it raises so many questions. Is this story intended to be literal or metaphoric? What's the message? Why all the repetition? It seems like all the conversations are the same, whether it's with the sun and the moon, the stars, the mountains, the earth and the sea. It's all the same conversation, the same request, the same rejection. Why does the Torah, excuse me, the Gemara give us so many versions of exactly the same thing? Why didn't they help him? What message does he finally understand? What made him finally, only after the fourth time, understand the message of personal responsibility? Rav Aaron Levine, who's known as the Raisha Rav, who was a great Rav and Darshan, who was actually killed al Kiddush Hashem by the Nazis, in his classic modern work of Drush, known as Hadrashva Ha'iyun, offers a remarkable and powerful and inspiring interpretation of this story. He explains that when a person lives a life of sin, lives in an immoral way, a large part of his or her life is spent in denial. They don't even want to admit such a person, doesn't even want to admit that they are doing something wrong. It's too painful to think about. But typically there can come a time when you can no longer live in denial, when you're forced to face reality. But then, says Ravaran Levine, we often have another approach, a plan B, as it were, or when we are forced to confront the evil of our ways, we then are quick to then blame other people or other things for our mistakes and sins so that we don't have to take personal responsibility. That's what happened, he says, with Elazar ben Dordaya. Before this story, until this moment, he just lived a life of blissful ignorance, imposed ignorance and pleasure, completely in denial about his depraved life. But that moment, that statement of the Zona made him realize, I can't run away from it. I can no longer live in denial. I can't deny the truth anymore. But then he quickly moved on to plan B. What I can do is find excuses for my actions. I can declare to God and myself, yes, maybe I did these bad things, but who said they're my fault? Says the Raishirav, of course, there was no actual conversation between him and the mountains and the other physical forces of nature. But rather, the Gemara is describing a, through metaphor, a real thought process that Elazar Bedardaya went through. A conversation he was having, not with the sun and the moon and the stars, but with himself. An internal dialogue, going through 
different possibilities of casting blame on others and avoiding self-responsibility. Says Aaron Levine, each of the four examples in the Gemara that he metaphorically spoke to, as it were, are in fact symbols of different excuses that people will typically use to free themselves from responsibility, to place it on something else. First, Elazar ben Dardaya called out to the mountains and the hills. Says Rabbi Levine, these are a metaphor for our parents. He quotes sources that often parents are referred to as mountains, fathers, mothers as hills. And therefore, in essence, said Elazar ben Dardaya, it's true I may have committed many sins, but it's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. It's the way they raised me. If I'd only had a better father, a better mother, a better family, if they had only loved me more, done different things with me, I would have been better. It's their fault. And that's what he means, Elazar ben Dardaya, when he says, Bikshu alai rachamim. You pray for me. You achieve forgiveness for me because it's your fault. But the response that the mountains and the hills give him is, which is really his conscience speaking to him, Yes, maybe as parents we made mistakes. We weren't perfect. Maybe we even need to do penance for ourselves. But it doesn't absolve you of your mistakes. You had and have the ability to make the right decisions. And if you didn't, you must take responsibility for that. That was the first attempt. Then the Gemara continued, as it were, that he looked to the heaven and earth. Again, in his thought process, in his conversation with himself, he moved on to a metaphor not of his parents, but rather the heaven and the earth, a metaphor, a symbol of man's environment. Although I may be not living a good and moral life, but it's not my fault. The environment around me wasn't conducive. I went to the wrong school. I learned in the wrong yeshiva. My parents had me growing up in a wrong neighborhood with bad friends. I didn't have a good chavra. I didn't have good influences. If I had lived somewhere else, if I went to another yeshiva, if I had different friends, been brought up in a different community, different city, I would have been better. That's the second excuse. But here too, even here, Lazar recognized that in the end, despite who his chavra was, who his teachers may have been, what his environment was growing up, it was his responsibility. Third, he confronts or attempts to find another excuse. He talks, so to speak, to the sun and the moon. Says of Aaron Levine, this symbolizes the economic conditions that a person lives. Because certainly in any agricultural society and cultural of old, the sun and the moon were both necessary for the ripening of the crops. Therefore, this symbolizes the process that Elazar ben Dardai himself went through, where a person says to himself, and Elazar did, maybe I didn't do the right things. You're right, I sinned. But it's not my fault. It's because of the financial situation. And this can be in one of two opposite ways. Either a person can say, I had too much money. I had too many responsibilities. My business, my professional responsibilities took over my life. I had no time to daven or to study. Or the opposite, a poor person, someone who's very needy could say, it was too hard. I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to go to shul. But I had no choice. I had to work to earn money to support my family. Maybe I worked on Shabbos, but I can't help it. I needed to make a living. I didn't have enough money. Maybe that's why I didn't go to shul. Maybe that's why I didn't do X or Y. Kashrus is too expensive. Day school was too expensive. I may, have made, I may have made mistakes, but I didn't have enough money. And again, here too, the answer is, it could be, maybe everything you're saying is true. R- wealth is a nisayon. Poverty is an even greater nisayon. There are lots of nisayonos, including financial ones. But they're not excuses. It may be true, but it's not an excuse. And last but not least, Elazar ben Derdaya calls out to the stars. And we know, says the Reisher of, that... <coughs> In Chazal, 
they spoke about how if a person was born under a different zodiac, <coughs> excuse me, or star, that would be a sign <coughs> that you would have a certain kind of personality. And many Mepharshim, <coughs> even preceding Ravar and Levine in the early and mid-20th century, have commented that what the Gemara called stars or mazalos are really the Gemara's way of referring to what we now refer to scientifically as DNA or genetics. And that yes, people can be born, quote, under a mazel, that is to say, with certain unique DNA and genetic predispositions. People are born genetically with different inclinations, dispositions. And Elazar and people in our own generation, we ourselves, will often use that as an excuse. Yes, maybe I did things wrong, but it's not my fault. Look at my genes. Look at how I was born. Look at my predispositions. It's not from me. It comes from my genes. I was born angry. I was born without empathy. I was born da 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 Whatever it is. And this, in the end, was the process that Elazar ben went through. He looked at all four of these different possible things. He wanted to find excuses now that he had no choice but to confront his own evil ways. But he wanted to push the blame and responsibility on someone else. And one after one, he realized that that didn't hold water and they fell away. And finally, he reached his true greatness. And he realized that, yes, it can be true. Sometimes we have problems that stem from our parents, sometimes from our environment, sometimes our financial situation, or even our genetics. But a human being is free to overcome these limitations. A human being is free to make decisions, to live an honest, ethical, moral, and yes, holy life. In the end, it is our decision. We're not the passive victims of our fate, but we can be and we must be the active driver of our own destiny. And this, I would suggest, is the most important idea for Yom Kippur. Personal responsibility. We are responsible for our own decisions and therefore we deserve, unfortunately, to be punished for our sins. But likewise, and thankfully, we deserve to be rewarded for our good decisions, for our moral decisions, for our holy decisions and lifestyle. True, that is a heavy burden to carry. But it's also exciting and empowering. If Hashem gives us this responsibility, it's because He knows we can handle it. We can do it. The power to live the life we want to live is within each of us. We don't need anyone else. In the end, it's up to me. This is such an important message that numerous commentators point out, including Ramosha Feinstein, but not limited to him, that in the beginning of the story, he is known as Elazar ben Dordaya, without any rabbinic honorific before his name. But at the end of the story, when he learns the lesson, he's now known as Rebbe Elazar ben Dordaya. He's never quoted anywhere else in Shas. We only know about him from this one story. And he started as low as one possibly can. But by the end of the story, he learns a lesson, and he teaches us a lesson that is so important that he deserves the title of Rebbe, because he's teaching the Jewish people a lesson that we all need to learn. Some people learn that lesson slowly over a lifetime. and Some people, like Elazar ben Dordaya, learn it quickly and dramatically from a single extreme event or experience. What's important is not when necessarily or how you learn the lesson, but that you do learn the lesson. May we all, Emir Tzahashem, be able to accept personal responsibility to do tshuva shalema, complete repentance, return to Hashem, return to our true selves. And in that merit, may Hashem bless us, may He forgive us, may He grant us a 
Kasiva v'chasima tova, may we all be written and signed in to the Sefer HaChayim for a year of good, happy, successful, healthy, and meaningful life.